Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Big Things with Zach Miko. On today's episode, we sit down with director and producer of Straight Curve, redefining body image, Jenny McQuayle. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the theme song. Hey everybody and thanks for joining us on Big Things with Zach Miko. As always, I'm your host, Zach Miko. Thanks for coming back, as always, on this beautiful Monday. Uh, Most Mondays are beautiful. A lot of people hate them. Garfield hated them, but I don't have a big problem with them. Uh, we got a great episode for you guys today. I sit down with the director and producer of Straight Curve, Redefining Body Image, Jenny McQuayle. We had an amazing talk. It's an amazing documentary. And everyone needs to go and check it out right now. It is now available on Amazon as well as iTunes and for rent or buy. And it's you got to see it. It really changed my idea. I've always uh, been a huge activist for the body positive community. And this film really feels like one of the defining moments of the straight curve brawn body positive community. Uh, It's the first documentary I've seen that actually puts real models up there and we get the inside scoop and we get some amazing statistics and I highly recommend all of you go check it out on Amazon and on iTunes. Uh, You can buy it straight from the Apple Store. You can rent it straight from the Apple Store. You can buy it on Amazon. You can rent it on Amazon. And if right now you go to straightcurvefilm.com, you can actually find a link to get not just the film but also to download uh, free house party screening kit so you can have your own house parties to watch the movie and you can have the sometimes tricky conversation about body image and this in, just have it in the safety of your own home with your kids your sisters your friends your brothers your co-workers uh, the kit comes with a lot of amazing discussion questions and some activities that are fun for all ages so i i hope you guys check it out as soon as you can i think this film should really be seen by everybody and imagine if a quarter million Women, mothers, daughters, brothers, sons, fathers gathered in their homes and had a real world talk about body positivity that invites not just the women, but the men and the boys in their lives to be part of this conversation. I mean, what kind of change would be possible if women, men, girls and boys everywhere just love themselves? And that's the goal of Straight Curve Film. They want to have 250,000 conversations, 250,000 people ready to spread the word about body positivity. And I think this film is an amazing start to it, and I really hope you guys check it all out. I had a great time talking to Jenny. We talked about a range of everything, uh, all about the film in depth, the different models she worked with, but also uh, we talked about life in general and how hard it is to navigate this world, especially as a young person. Uh, There is a bit of a trigger warning. We do talk in depth for a while about the Parkland shooting, and I think it was an important conversation to have, and I'm glad we did it, but just to let you guys know, there is some heavy stuff coming up in this conversation, and it feels so poignant, the fact that we just had this past weekend another shooting at Santa Fe High School in Texas, and I don't know how to stop this, 
and I think the conversation needs to be had on every aspect. It needs to be had in your homes. It needs to be had with your families. It needs to be had with your children. And it needs to be had with people who don't agree with you. There's kids every day getting killed in their schools. There have been more teens and children and teachers killed in schools this year than have been in either the Iraq or Afghanistan wars so far in 2018. That's a crazy statistic that it is, as of right now, more dangerous to be a high school kid or a elementary school kid or a teacher than it is to be a soldier. And I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. Um, But we also talk about where things like this can stem from and I hope you guys really enjoy our interview. I promise it's way more positive than school shootings most of the time. Um, But it's a conversation that needed to be had, and I hope you guys understand it. This film helped me a lot. Uh, It showed me, as a man, it it focuses on women in the film, but uh, Jenny and I have a great conversation about how men can be brought into the fold on this, and I'm going to stop talking because she talks way better than I do. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the director and producer of Straight Curve, Redefining a Body Image, Jenny McQuayle. Ladies and gentlemen, I am here with Jenny McQuayle, the writer, director, and producer of Straight Curve, Redefining Body Image. How you doing? Hello. So we're here in lovely Brooklyn. I saw the movie twice. I actually rewatched it last night to like as like awesome. prep because I saw it a long time ago. Whenever it was released on Hulu, mm-hmm. I saw it. You saw it so like <laughs> eight months ago. I know. At first, I was like, I saw the ads that was coming out, and I was like, I don't have Epics. What is that? And then <laughs> you and everybody else. And then no. Well, it turns out I just like changed my uh, my cable over. It turns out I had Epics the whole time and was paying for it. I was really annoyed, <laughs> but bes- that's not you. That's Time Warner's fault. But yeah, no, I rewatched it last night, and it is such it's it's such a great film. I love that how inclusive it is because it, it is pushing the idea of um, you know plus being equal. But one of the main things I like about it is that you include everybody. It's not just plus. You you have in the very beginning you write out your plus girls, your straight girls, and your uh, in betweenies, you mm-hmm. called them, which I loved. <laughs> so, um, but let's start off. You are originally from Ireland. I am. Where from Ireland? Just outside Dublin. Nice. Um, where? 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 Just outside it's Dublin. It's called Drogheda. Okay, good. I Do don't you know. know where that is? No, I don't. But I know like a little. So okay. I always pretend that I'm I like. Know. So oh. does everyone? I'm like, like <laughs> hopefully you'll say like the three towns I know. <laughs> which are? Wh- where do you know? Uh, well, my uh, family's from. They're from Galway, but they're also from Roscommon. So, like, I was like, so I know, like, a little couple things. I don't know. I know the counties. I really, I think that I know cities and I just know counties. This is really what it is. And pretty much the counties are also the cities. So yeah. That's well, that's, that's the way I feel like it works out normally. <laughs> um, so when did you, um, so when did you, for, first off, when did you come to America? But also, did you start doing film beforehand when you were in Ireland? Um, no, my background is in journalism. So I was a journalist in Dublin and in London, and then I quit my job. I went backpacking around the world for four years. Nice. And (laughs) I think while I was traveling, I decided that 
stories were kind of better told visually and I was yeah. seeing so many amazing things and so many amazing people and I really decided that I wanted to move into kind of visual storytelling yeah. so I decided at the same time I was, I was turning 30 and was kind of having like you know a, a third life crisis and knew that I always wanted to live in the states and knew that I wanted to come back to study documentary filmmaking so I decided to kind of merge those two things and I googled uh documentary film production courses <laughs> at nice. New York City and I ended up at Brooklyn College and oh perfect it was amazing <laughs> <laughs> that was six years ago and nice yes the rest is history <laughs> I know so before you um Straight Curve isn't your first Is it your first documentary? It's my first feature film First full length so, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, first feature Awesome, because I saw you were working with the World Cup Am I making that up? Um, no, I did a TV doc series on the world, called the World Cup Project Which yeah. was about 11 countries around the world that use soccer Or football as I call it For social change mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I did episodes in Liberia We went to Brazil for the last World Cup Which was incredible Yeah And I filmed in New Orleans as well for that. So it was really great. New Orleans is like my favorite city. I lived there for six months. Well, technically I lived in Metairie, but you know, it's like living in Queens or Brooklyn. You just say New York. It's fine. (laughs) So, uh, Louisiana is great. And we'll talk about that in a different podcast. (laughs) Um, so you're in Louisiana. So, so what, what drew you to making a film about essentially body positivity? Like what, 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 what made that stick out to you? Well, I think, I mean, the film, I say, is for everyone who's ever looked in a mirror and felt, like, not good enough, which yeah. is pretty much every human on the planet. So, you know, I think it, it started out as um, me trying to explore the plus-size modeling community and, and kind of really find out what that was all about because, yeah. you know, I found out a few years ago that a plus-size model was considered, you know, a size 10 and above and was totally horrified by this and wanted to find out more so I met with some plus size models here in New York and we had coffee and I was like what would tell me what this is all about because it's it's mental and they (laughs) you know it really is yeah through that I met my producer Jess Lewis and and we met a lot of other people in the fashion industry but it really became apparent to me that the kind the most important part of it was the larger conversation about body image and body positivity and you know, that's why it was really important for me to go into the school. So like in, yeah, yeah in the film, like we talked to teenage girls and that was crazy. It, it was heartbreaking. I spent the day crying, you know, and. Yeah. I mean, you had some statistics that like blew my mind. Uh, whereas the, the biggest one that got me was when you're talking to the kids, you have statistics go by and one of them said that 80% of 10 year old girls have tried dieting at least once. Right. That's nuts. I know. And it's terrifying. Because yeah. you look at 10-year-old girls and they're like little They're people. children. Yeah. They shouldn't be worried about dieting. They shouldn't be worried about body image. They should be worried about playing in the yard and, right. I don't know, doing their homework and it's, eating cereal. And that's it. It's not the world we've created for them, though. So I know. Oh, So so uh, what, what school did you go to? What was that school? Brooklyn College. Here. Oh, no, sorry. In no, the no, film. no, not your school. In the right, film, right, the, right. the student um, school. The Trevor Day School, which was yeah. phenomenal. Oh, my God. If I have children, I need to send them there. It's a, it's an it's an incredible school. And I think because of that school community, those yeah. kids in particular were really 
um, thoughtful about how they answered the questions. You they know, were very open. So yes. I, I was actually amazed at how like open they were. Yeah. But not not just to do that, but also to do group activities. Because right. I know in my high school, everyone would shut down. Or there would be the one kid that wanted to do everything, and everyone else was too embarrassed to like say anything. And you had these kids like, yeah, dealing with everything and talking about anything that came up. I think it was amazing, but it, it kind of shocked me because they were way more aware and had clearly spent way more time thinking about these issues and what it means to them to live in their body in this day and age than I ever have in 30 plus years. So, yeah. you know, to me, I walked away thinking, oh my God, like these kids are way more mature than I am. Yeah. And, you know, and in some ways they are, but in some ways I think it's reflective of the world that we live in now that they've been forced to kind of sit down and think about their body image, think about how they feel, think about how they compare themselves to other people, think about social media and like what all of that does to them, right? So, yeah. and, and they've been forced to kind of process it. And so if you ask them, how do they feel when they look in the mirror or, you know, how do they feel when they compare themselves to other people? They have an answer and they've thought about it. And those answers are pretty shocking and yeah. devastating to hear. Um, and I think that's kind of what makes it more compelling because we can no longer then ignore it. These kids have thought about this. This is how they feel. They're telling us. And we're the adults here. Like, we have to do something about this. I mean, that's just the reality. Yeah. Th these kids are way... I feel like this generation of, of youngsters coming up, are they called Gen Z? I don't know. I don't know anymore. I still don't know. I know I'm considered a millennial. Oh, I man. know. I missed it. <clears throat> Did I'm just, you? I'm a little older than a millennial, so I'm, I'm actually happy about that for the first time. <laughs> it's fine. I, I don't I don't understand. Everyone, it, it but, um, so I, th I guess it's Generation Z, but these kids are so much smarter and more conscious mm -hmm. than I ever was at their age. I mean, the fact that, just look at the most recent Parkland shootings and the fact that these children mm -hmm. organized a national protest right. in order to combat and try to make change. Mm -hmm. It's I'm so impressed. And I feel like I did nothing when I was <laughs> I, mean, I just did my high school theater. And but like I, I, I got an argument with a teacher that I should be able to do Miss Saigon, even though we didn't have any Asian kids in our cast. You know. We did. We did the whitest Miss Saigon ever, yeah. which was very sad. That's that's okay though. But I feel I like know. we didn't live in a world where we were forced to take to the streets. Maybe no, you know? exactly. And that's kind of the reality. And Absolutely. Now I don't know about. I know for me, I think a lot of it was fear. Like I grew up. I was a teenager during nine eleven. Like right after nine eleven. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, it was more of you regressed into this just utter fear of everyone and everything and mm -hmm. so you just kind of stuck to your group and didn't move around too much but these kids you know the the kids that are making moves right now don't remember that they don't remember these massive terrorist attacks on their own soil so i think that's a interesting change <laughs> but also they also grew up in the reality we shaped for them post 9 11 mm -hmm. so because of that they had to be mature from a very young age and they i mean they that this is their reality now yeah. so they never knew anything different they never lived in a peacetime in a time yeah. that we were not at war exactly that's crazy to comprehend you know and and for me like growing up in in ireland you know we're a neutral country we don't go to war i don't even think we have an army like you know it was a totally different experience again yeah. And I think, you know, when I do think about the the kids growing up in this country, they're growing up 
knowing nothing different and I think their motivation is to create peace and to create a world where it's a little bit more just again and uh I I just I kind of but I was at the march in DC and I honestly felt you know I was like well if this is our future I feel okay about that you know I feel not so okay about our present but if this is our future then oh my god yes I agree and I think we're very lucky everyone else like bitches about younger kids and whatnot I'm the only one that I'm just like if they're gonna come back and fix everything I am all for letting these kids do it because yeah. that sounds great because my generation doesn't know what to do they're mm-hmm. they're they're loud they're vocal but we're not getting anything done yeah these guys are getting shit done so yeah. hopefully they can fix the problems for us but we need to be taking care of them because again no, we exactly. are the adults you know it's, the whole parkland debate like the the kids are getting attacked so much and it drives me nuts because all they're saying is hey we're students in a school who were shot at and a bunch of our friends were killed with a high capacity, you know, semi-automatic weapon in the hands of a crazy person. Could we make that not happen? And everyone's villainizing them. Right. It's like, how dare you? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, they're just asking not to get shot while they're in math class. They're right. not, I don't think that's a crazy assumption. No, the fact that that is a radical idea that it's like, I just want to go to school and learn, please. I know. Yeah. I don't want to have to do the fact that I'm going to have to do mass shooter drills in my school and everyone's just like, well, it's just part of reality now. It's really not. It's I mean, it might be part of your reality in no other developed country. Are they having mass shooter drills on a regular basis? Because there's a damn good chance someone's going to walk in with a gun. Yeah, that's terrifying. Uh, well, back to body positivity. <laughs> Back to, well, you know, back to can, if we start having conversations at a younger age yeah. to build self-esteem, and we talked about this, then exactly. do you, in some ways, is there a world where you can nip these issues in the bud before they develop into into a space where people feel invisible? So people are lashing out for attention, they're crying out to be seen, and in doing so, they're, you know, doing really drastic things like shooting up a school or... Yeah attacking a woman or whatever it may be in the you know in the me too movement as well and i think you know we do live in a world where people are becoming more and more invisible and you know i think that that it's really really toxic and and i think if we can get at a younger age being able to instill a sense of self-esteem and a sense of self-identity then you know can we stop these larger issues maybe i totally agree i think a lot of it just comes right back to early self-worth and and self-esteem and self-love because like a a happy person doesn't develop into a person that will shoot up a school now that's taking out a lot of mental health issues (laughs) and a lot like that i'm not referring to that but i know i grew up very unhappy and very depressed as a teenager and it really and a lot of my personal issues could have been fixed by someone telling me I was worth something. Someone telling me it was okay. Someone telling me that I didn't have to meet this standard that I knew I could never hit. Right. And luckily we got people like you making films (laughs) to tell kids that that's exactly the case. You had other statistics in there that blew my mind with the young people. 60% of us girls compare themselves to models. Uh, 47% say it's something to strive for. And at 13 years old, 53% of girls say that they are unhappy with their bodies, which rises to 78% at 17. Right. 78%. That's insane to me. Yeah. And it's, it's, why, why do you think 
beside what what do you think at 17 they're not happy with themselves well i think i mean it starts uh like the the first statistic there is age 13 and i think that from 13 to 17 is your most formative years right so and those are the years where you really start to tear yourself apart. You start to look in the mirror and, and, you know, not like what you see because you don't look like your friend or you now you don't look like that girl on social media that is not even real because it's a filter. And, you know, you don't, it's, 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 it, you don't have the maturity necessarily to know, not even better, but you don't have the maturity to know any different. And I think media literacy is a big thing. And we, you know, a little bit of of the film is about that. Like, how do you read the images that we're we're seeing in the world now? You know, like you look at an image and how do you kind of deconstruct this? And how do you know in your brain that what's real and what's not? So it doesn't affect you on that really emotional level. And I think, you know, there's this statistic in the film that our brain processes images 60,000 times faster than words yeah which is crazy Mm -hmm. and if you think about on a daily basis how many images that we just consume and we don't even realize and you know especially if you live in New York City I mean oh my god but you don't even have to live in New York City you know you pick up your phone you turn on your tv you walk to the bus stop you take a train it is everywhere and you know if we're internalizing all of this and then that becomes our standard that becomes what we think we should look like and you know whether you think that the fashion industry has any relevance to your life or whether you think fashion is frivolous doesn't bloody matter the reality is you're seeing and consuming these images like everybody else is and they're forming and shaping how you think about yourself and that's what happening is what happening to these young girls yeah i always said that from the age of five, I don't know who taught me. I don't think anyone ever said it specifically to me, but at like five years old, I knew that fat was bad and skinny was good. Right. And I don't know. And that was never t- taught to me by, you know, no one ever said that to me, but I knew it as much as I knew that what was up and what was down. Um, it was just, yep. it just was a fact. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think imagery is the biggest part and the fashion industry is one of the biggest culprits in that well it's a big contributor yeah and and, you know I think that the reason I I chose to tell this story through the lens of the fashion industry and the media is because I truly believe it's at the epicenter and I think you know the the fashion industry influences our tv and our film world it influences our music world you know whether we directly see those ties it just is the reality and you know I think I I didn't even know how pervasive it was until I started making this film and you know, delving into the fashion industry, I see how it connects to everything else now and particularly to the marketing and the advertising out there because, you know, you're, you know, you as Zach are in ads and campaigns, but thankfully you're representative of something more diverse and something, you know, more inclusive. But Well, even in the beginning, I was being Photoshopped and I had to like say something and I was just like, hey, I don't, look like that yeah. <laughs> like, how I, weird was that like what did how did that feel like um for me they like trimmed out a whole, you know, whole parts of my body which was weird like so they hired you to be plus size it was at the then. very beginning right. so it was kind of like i was still a new thing and i think they're just following old rules of course um luckily they dropped them real quick yeah <laughs> but i remember yeah the first couple images that i saw of me on some ads i was just kind of like oh i don't I don't look like that. Like they don't, they, 
I don't have an hourglass figure, <laughs> but it As looks like I do in this because they cut in to take my love handles out and make it just a straight line from hip to armpit. And it was yeah. like, it, it's, I think it's so learned. I, someone says something in your show at one point um, about how the fashion industry is like, if something was done this way the first time, mm-hmm. everybody does it every single time because they're terrified not to. Yep. And I think that's kind of what, what was happening, especially with Photoshop for a very, very long time. But it's so dangerous. I mean, you and you can testify to this. And we have Iskra Lawrence in the film yeah. who, who I love. And she talks about, you know, her parents went into a, a store to buy a magazine that she was in and they couldn't find her because they couldn't recognize her. She'd been yeah. Photoshopped so heavily. Yeah. That's crazy. And it's also like, think about how damaging that is to you, the model, right? Yeah. You're being told you, the real version of you is not okay. Yeah. And it's not, it's not good enough to sell stuff to other people. Like, I can't imagine how damaging that would be. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's a, it's a slippery slope. No, I'm interviewing you. <laughs> I know. No. Hey, listen, that's, I, I love interviewing people who like, like <laughs> filmmakers and whatnot, because my job gets way easier. <laughs> Um, so how did you, so obviously you know that this is something you had to embark on when you started looking into it. How did you end up, uh, you have such a wide cast of characters Mm -hmm. going from straight sizes to curve and also ranging in age. How did you choose your cast? Yeah. I mean, I think it was really important to us that we looked at size, age and race and, you know, we really wanted to be as inclusive as possible. And at that time, so, you know, we were casting this three plus years ago when we're the boards at agencies were not as diverse as they are now. Right. Yeah. So that's also a thing, you know, had we been able to, had we been doing this now, it's we could happened have, so quickly. Yeah. Like it's happened so quickly. Right. We, we could have had even more diversity, you know, yeah. cause I, I know that's a thing. I look at our imagery and it is diverse, but it could go further in this day and age because people now exist on these boards that did not exist three years ago. But yeah. but for us, it was about age and size and, and race. And I think that we cast women as well. So for me, what was really important was that these were not just models, but they were gonna be role models for younger girls. And everybody had their own story to tell. Everybody had their own platform. And you know, I think these women are activists, right? They're all yeah. you know fighting for something. And then it's kind of, it's it's very interesting. They're all fighting for something very different you know and I think we couldn't necessarily get all of that into the film but I think by hearing everybody's different personal journey it it helps younger people and older people just feel less alone you know it's it's a problem shared is a problem halved and yeah and hearing some of these girls talk and you know because I think what we we create we put models and actresses on a pedestal, right? We put yeah. famous people up there and we think that they're untouchable and that they live this amazing glamorous lifestyle and they never have a bad day. And it's just not true. They're all human. Yeah. And I think humanizing these women was really, really important to me. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that bugs me the most is when I hear people say to me, yeah, but they're models. Like they asked for it. Like, uh, and I we didn't oh yeah, yeah. no I, but I, I mean, exactly how does that make you feel no it, it's because I, I deal with the same thing and they're like oh if they don't want people commenting negatively about them why are they putting their image out there and it's like well I'm still a human being right. who does have thoughts and feelings and I'm putting myself out there 
for one to sell stuff because that's essentially what my job is right. is i'm selling stuff for other people i'm a glorified salesman <laughs> but also you know as an artist i am trying to create images that i think are important and that will help people in the future and it is something that i've accepted knowing i'm gonna get a lot of hate and i'm mm -hmm. gonna get a lot of trolls just two days ago someone's like you need a bra like on my thing and i no, it was just yesterday some guy i posted a picture of some guy commented he goes you need to wear a bra and i commented back and i was like well i prefer a bralette because underwire is kind of bullshit <laughs> and just because it's it's something you know is gonna happen but it doesn't make it okay no there's still human beings on yeah. the other side of what you're talking to and i think people don't realize that when they view you only through a screen mm -hmm. or a magazine I think I learned that when I started meeting famous people mm. <laughs> and just realizing that they were just people that flawed. I still had to talk to. Right. Deeply flawed, <laughs> deeply worried about everything. I know for me, the more sick, when this first started, the more successful I was becoming, the more depressed I became mm. because all of a sudden my life wasn't private anymore. All of a sudden I was getting judgment from not just myself, um, but from the world at large. And you almost, I don't know. There's a lot of things you can go into, but. But it takes a lot of guts. I mean, you're and there's putting people. yourself out there, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's what these women in, in our in our film and, and what you are doing, you're kind of, you're saying, well, to hell with all of you. I'm going to do this because actually I believe in it. And yeah. I think I want to do some good. And the, the, the idea that people are like, oh, you're asking for it is crazy. I'm like, no, that's not what I'm asking for. Tom Cruise. <laughs> Maybe he's a terrible example. <laughs> pick uh, someone else. Let's <laughs> pick someone much nicer. Uh, um, John C. Riley uh, doesn't go and you know make make a film. He doesn't go and win an Oscar for Chicago. He doesn't go and do all this because he wants people to call him a fat, lazy piece of shit. He does it because he wants to do the work and he wants right. to join the art. And he knows that people making fun of him is something he has to deal with to make his way. But it's something that everyone deals with on a small level. But I feel like once you start becoming in the public eye, it's just amplified. And right. It's, you do just have to deal with it. But people need to know we are human beings. You could talk to us. And I feel like in social media, we're more human than ever before because mm -hmm. we can actually respond to you and talk to you. And I don't know. And you can create your own... Uh, like personal platform now. Like yeah. I, I use Iskra Lawrence again because you know she has over four million Instagram followers, and yes, she's she created does. a platform where she posts about the ups and the downs, the struggles, everything that she kind of goes through, and she's real. And she's like, "This is me. I'm being unapologetically me." Yeah, and that is why. 4 million people follow her. And I'm sure, you know, maybe a percentage of those are men who just like looking at her and that's fine. But a massive percentage are women who feel empowered by her. And I think, you know, social media, it, it gets a lot of bad rap, but I'm always on the side of social media. I oh, always, I would have no career if it wasn't for social yeah. media. I, I feel like it's important that there's a voice out there saying, hang on, yes, there is a lot of bad stuff happening. Yeah. But if we learn how to harness social media for good, it is an incredible tool that we yeah. did not have. And it gives everybody a voice. And it gives customers a voice. You know, I, I tell people in, at, at screenings that we do, and people are always really, like, shocked by this, but, you know, brands, media companies, they've all hired people specifically to read the comments on their social media feeds. Yeah. And this is real. 
So those comments are getting back to the powers that be at a high level, corporate levels in these, co- in these companies. And this gives you a voice. That never used to happen. You know, you, we as a customer never had a direct line to yeah. the decision makers ever before. That's what I love about social media. Is we, I feel like we have a direct line to everyone. Yes, a lot mm-hmm. of it can get ignored and not go anywhere. But when you, when you comment on a famous person's, you know, Twitter or Instagram, they can easily see it. Very easily. I mean, some people get millions of them so they'd have to scroll but the (laughs) fact is it's in their phone you say something to them and all of a sudden you know uh i i want to think of a famous person that's not awful it's not tom cruise no not even tom cruise i was just almost like said other things i'm like and then kanye west looks i'm like i don't want to talk about him either why is everyone awful right now um no but seriously it's like if you if you send me a direct message or not a direct message. If you comment on one of my photos, I see it mm-hmm. every single time. I'm still have a small enough <laughs> social media following that I read every single comment. So I see it and it is, it's, it's crazy that we live in a society where you can just go straight to a person now. And I think what social media gets a bad rap for people being fake on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll make the opposite argument. I know I'll, I feel like people are more real than anything else. The fact that you get to see behind the scenes beforehand with this actor, you were just seeing a, you know, $50 million production with hair, makeup and the exact lines written for him by people with Obie awards. And now (laughs) this is just Joe Schmo taking a photo of himself Mm -hmm. wherever he's at. I don't know. I really like social media. I'm a big old fan of it. Well, yeah. And it's not just about like communicating with celebrities, but it's about using then that voice to actually, you know, do your own low level activism, as it were. Yeah. You know, if you have a clothing company that you love their jeans, but their advertising is shit and like, you know, they're awful and they sell to your insecurities, tell them, you know, and that's kind of what we're trying to encourage with the film. And after the film is, you know, you now have a voice. So tell tell the people where you spend your money how they should be representing you and what you want to see in their ad campaigns because they're listening and that's critical and so are the media companies tell them what you want to see in their pages and that's you know it's a tool it's an incredible tool i think yeah i think it's great um i was speaking to one of your jenny runk i talked to a couple weeks ago who's in your cast Mm -hmm. and um she talked about in our episode that she made a conscious decision because there's so much out there now to only shop plus size. She now, after working and after doing straight curves, she's now like, I will only buy clothing of people who specifically will are size inclusive. Cause yeah. she's like right on, she's right on the line. So mm-hmm. she could shop at like the bigger size at some of the straight companies, but it's amazing. I've tried to do that. I don't have enough options yet. <laughs> I would right. be shopping at two stores. <laughs> so, so I'm getting there, but I definitely, I think that's it's really important to be supportive. And that's what's great about this film is it is so supportive and these this this cast you have assembled has a genuine love for each other. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean the fact one of my favorite things is uh Denise Bedeau mm-hmm. brought her daughter. Right. So you can also kind of got the other the, the the next generation mm-hmm. to see what they were thinking of it. Did she say did was there any interactions with um Denise and her daughter specifically that were meaningful? Yeah, I mean there's a scene in the film where Jocelyn and I think she was 9 at the time 
said that her friend called her fat in school. And, you know, this was the first time Denise was hearing this on camera. And, you know, she was horrified. And it was a really, really, you know, trying moment because, you know, what do you say to your kid when your kid tells you, you know, oh, my friend called me fat? You know, it's not in a in a positive way, but in a in a derogatory way and then you know she came home apparently and was talking about her thighs and it's you know she was nine years old Ugh. so yeah i mean seeing that firsthand from a nine-year-old and then hearing from the teenagers it really does give you that generational age um range where we see how it's affecting people of all ages and how people of all ages are struggling with body image and you know saying Pretending otherwise is just total BS, I think, at this point. And, yeah. you know, we've, we have to move past that and just now start to be more accountable for well, we fixing have, it. Yeah, we got to get past the suck it up mentality. Because yeah. that's what my generation mm. was taught, is we were just taught, you know, if someone makes fun of you, just, just shrug it off. Let it roll off your shoulders. And people think that that helps. <laughs> it didn't help. People still make fun of me every single day. And I feel like it's like, no, we have to do, we, we can't just let our kids bully each other and... And just be like, oh, well, that's life. Mm-hmm. The whole idea is that shouldn't be life. If we mm-hmm. start with the younger generation and teach them that this is not okay, then guess what? The older generation, when they grow up, won't be doing that to right. one another. And they're like, oh, it doesn't prepare you for the real world being so nice to these kids. And it's like, well, they, they will be the real world. Mm-hmm. And if they're being better to each other, then the real world will be better. It's, uh, I just, I get mad about that. It drives me crazy. Um, so how'd you pick? So in the film, you have an amazing photographer, mm-hmm. Anastasia Garcia. Mm-hmm. Uh, what made her catch your eye in the beginning to choose her to be part of this journey with you? I love Anastasia. She's great. And I mean, she's a, she's a plus size woman herself. So yeah. I think she's a size 22 and she brings the personal narrative to the conversation we were trying to have. So, yeah. you know, she, to me, she was the obvious choice. She, she shoots very beautiful high-end photographs, you know, and the, the, the spine of our film is uh, this photo shoot that we do to create the imagery that we should be seeing more of in the fashion industry. So imagery with 12 models of different sizes and ages and ethnicities. And then we curate those images into an exhibit at the end of the film. And like Anastasia was really kind of, a, you know, a really great linchpin because I knew that on set I didn't just want to create the images I wanted to be having these conversations and Anastasia was I had shot with her before and I'd been on set with her and she was so natural with these women with the models and you know she came to us to the shoot knowing everybody already pretty much and and I knew what kind of conversations we could have together because she can speak from a place of personal experience as a larger woman and as an image creator. So I think that was what kind of made her the obvious choice. Yeah. And she's a phenomenal photographer. Yeah. So that always helps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so one of the questions I wanted to ask is you guys talked about BMI mm-hmm. in it. Um, BMI became like the way, in my opinion, to essentially medically shame fat people going on, even though you have doctors on the thing talk about how the BMI scale is nuts. It's yeah. literally just a... a a, a ratio of height to weight. Yes. And it has nothing to do with health. It has nothing to do with blood work. Um, for example, in a BMI scale, I, at six foot six, am considered extremely obese. Mm-hmm. Not like, and I'm a bigger guy, but I'm considered extremely overweight. 
which to me is crazy. But then you guys list in the film that Tom Brady is considered overweight. Kim Kardashian is considered overweight. It's literally just it takes no muscle into account, takes no (laughs) sense of fitness into account. It's just how did it become the thing that people based all their research on? Right. I mean, I think it's it's. We have someone in the film, Bryn Austin from Harvard, saying, you know, if she could take back anything, it would be the use of BMI so ubiquitously in in the health system. And, you know, we I was on a panel with her that last week, I think, at at Dalton in New York City. And she talked about BMI again. And she is such a passionate woman when it comes to this, because, you know, it was created as a measure to basically be applied to mass civilizations of people hundreds of years ago it was never meant to be used on an individual basis for a one-on-one diagnosis ever but that is what we have started to do and i i don't know if it was laziness i don't know how it first happened but you know it needs to it needs to go away yeah (laughs) and it needs to stop and as you say i mean it doesn't take anything into account with regards to your actual physical well-being and you know you could be you could be very slim and thin and have type 2 diabetes or super high cholesterol or you know something else going on inside of you so this idea that you can look at someone's body and tell what their health is is totally ridiculous and we've created this world in this country where fat is bad and to be fat is literally the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to you right and like that's just so toxic and I don't know how I think it's worse in America I have to say that than most other places and I don't know how we got to this place and it's really difficult to be kind of in the midst of what some people are calling an obesity epidemic whilst also just fat shaming people so you know how yeah, there's a huge difference and, and yeah. i um i did an interview once with um larry king i'm not name dropping there's <laughs> it just it happened to be what the interview was and um he kind of challenged me on me saying that like you know not a lot of the times health and body fat aren't related to right. one another and he's just he brought up Michelle Obama and he goes, well, what about her? She's trying to get, you know, obesity down to the kids. Are you saying Michelle Obama's wrong? And I'm just like, don't make me say that. <laughs> I think right. Health, uh, Michelle Obama's doing an amazing thing. No one, no one in the uh, body positive or larger person community ever says health is a bad thing. Right. We do the opposite. We say health is incredibly important and you need to be healthy and you need to be active and you need to feel strong. But those things are not aesthetic. Right. It, you do not have to have a six pack to be a healthy person. Right. And it's, I don't know through, I think imagery and advertisement, it has become that exact thing. One of your other um, cast members, uh, is it Sasha Exeter or Sarah mm-hmm. Exeter? Sasha, Sasha Exeter um, talks about how now she is an athlete. She's an incredibly fit woman mm-hmm. and she was having a hard time getting cast for these fit campaigns Mm -hmm. because they would use these much slimmer, unhealthy, not athletic people because for some reason through the imagery in our society, the smaller you are, the more healthy you are. Right. I I mean, she, Sasha is such a strong individual. I mean, mean, she's a powerhouse. yeah, Yeah. Her body is incredible. And you know, she and even her on the BMI scale, I guarantee you, it oh says yeah. she's overweight. Oh yeah, yeah. and she, I mean, 
her, like you can see in the film, we do this just incredible shot where you see the pure power and muscle in her body and it is just beautiful. And she, yeah, she says she can't get cast in fitness ads even though she is an athlete. So it, it's it's crazy. And I mean, the discrepancy doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's all tied back to the shame and the stigma that is kind of at the root cause of all of this this idea that you can't you know brands don't want to dilute their brand by putting clothes on quote-unquote fat people or yeah you know we while trying to pull the shoot together our stylist genesee she had a really really hard time and she had a hard time with clothing companies but what blew my mind was that shoe companies wouldn't give her shoes to put on the larger plus size models oh i know the feeling when it, like, i wore i wear shoes two to three sizes too small on a regular basis because of that exact thing it's it's a weird thing there's a strange thing in the supply and demand when they're making the fashion industry is very antiquated and mm-hmm. people don't realize like how far behind especially we live in such a technologically modern society how far behind this industry is mm-hmm. um a lot of it comes down to samples mm-hmm. and sample sizes. So I'll get a shoe and it'll be an 11. And they're like, where are this shoes at? And I said, well, I'm like a 13 and a half. I have to like double my toes under and walk on my, my toe knuckles to do this. And they're like, well, that's what you're going to have to do. It only comes in 11. It's the sample. For some reason, they haven't figured out how to change the sizes of samples yet. I don't know where that breakdown is. But for me, my, my big thing is a sample size shirt is a medium. So every now and now when they're shooting with me, they know that they that's not going to work. We're going to have to get something else. But sometimes mediums still show up and we just got to work with them and there's no other way to do it. And you got to cut them up the back and pin them in place and pretend that it's a real shirt. And I don't know what it's like on the supply design side, um, but it seems like just from a designer's point of view, they design for a small person. Um, and then they scale up from that. Mm-hmm. That's another thing we talk about in your film mm-hmm. where Emmy has her Emmy V plus <laughs> model, the one who started it all for us, um, actually works with Syracuse university, mm-hmm. giving larger mannequin sizes to these design students, the sample makers, the designers. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. But also teaching them how to make clothes for diff- different size women. So, yeah. You know, something that shocked me beyond belief was learning that no design school pretty much in the world teaches students how to make clothes for women over a six to eight. What the hell? For, like Especially 60, 60% of American women 67, are over, a, yeah. over like a 14. Right. So it's like, it's crazy. To Six, yeah, two thirds of women are a size 14 and above, <laughs> but yet nobody leaving design school knows how to make clothes for those women. So there is just a massive gap in, you know, logic for a start, but like just a massive gap in understanding here. And I think, you know, I tried, we, we went to Parsons, we went to Syracuse and Syracuse is where Emmy has brought this program yeah. called Fashion Without Limits to Syracuse. And, but, you know, we talked to the students and the professors and they're, you know, they're pretty much winging it. They're, they yeah. have to, they have to figure it out There's no playbook on their own. Yeah. And, you know, I think that Emmy is constantly campaigning on trying to get colleges, more universities to implement courses for, for people of all sizes because, I mean, why the hell not? And that's that's kind of hearkening back to 
a lot of designers don't just physically don't know how to yeah. make clothes for larger women. Yeah. So and they you know, won't admit it. And that's they won't admit they it. Don't, that's why they don't do it. Literally. They don't know how to do it. Literally. The same in the men's department is what they do is they just take their sample size and they keep scaling up. Right. Just adding inches. And they're just adding inches. And it doesn't make sense. No. Um, I some I work with brands on their fit sometimes. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I see is, yeah, the even something as simple as a t-shirt. They start off with a medium. I'm a double XL. There's a lot more room in certain areas as there should be. So what they do is they take that for the person who would be a straight fronted person, no curves, no nothing, no belly, no man chest, no nothing that would just fall straight down. And then they scale that up to be a double XL. So now, okay, I fit in maybe now one of those dimensions because not every part of my body is growing equally right. as you go up. I'm gaining more in the chest and the stomach, but my arms aren't exploding. Yes. And the big thing is a lot of the time, th- th- this company actually does a good job, but the rest it's of them, cool it is a cool t-shirt. It's Uniglo. I'll throw it out there for them. Uniglo extended their sizes recently, so I'll talk about them. Uh, nice. <laughs> but they, you know, a lot of the times as t-shirts, all of a sudden then you have this giant wing of a shirt yep. hanging off of you. Because now they assume because your torso grew 12 inches that so did your arm and everyone's walking around (laughs) with Hulk Hogan sized pythons if they're a bigger person. It's crazy to me. And and it's a simple thing of design. And I know in the women's industry that was a big problem is they have their size 4 sample and then they just blow it up. Right to it like a 20 and they think that nothing else changed yeah so it just makes it into a giant tent yeah and it I just think, becomes a bag yeah and that's what i mean and that's what curvier plus size women are pissed off about and rightly so you know they've women want fashionable clothes at any size and women deserve to be able to wear clothes that make them feel good about themselves but also that just are cool and chic and give them a sense of identity and I think you know we we talked to one woman in the film and she says when she was growing up she was either dressed as a 50 year old woman or a goth because they were her only options as a plus size woman and it's Mm -hmm. you know it always gets a laugh but it's true I wore (laughs) I looked like a construction worker because I'd wear my dad's old clothes or I looked like um Oh, I just just a giant Hawaiian shirt. Right. Those were my two options growing up. Is I could wear giant Hawaiian shirts or ones with like anime dragons on them, or I had to wear my dad's clothes. Right, and yeah. like think about what that does to your sense of self identity. Yeah. So like when we're growing up, we're developing our kind of sense of style and our unique look, right? And like you want to be able to be what you feel like you are inside right whatever that may mean and you want to be able to manifest it and choose the clothing that suits your personality and to not have a choice to not be able to go into a store sometimes to not even have a choice to be able to find clothes to even put on your body you know and we we have everybody has to wear clothes you know we can't walk around naked it's just like not allowed so but think yeah. about some people who it, it, can't it, even find clothes. There are places you can go, but like, <laughs> yeah, for the most part in society, you can't do it. No. They actually, actually, when was it? Last year. It is entirely legal for a woman to be topless in New York City. Whoa. I found that out, which is a weird thing. They had, a, there was some big lawsuit that happened during a protest. And mm-hmm. then for like a, a, like 
a couple of weeks in every like morning briefing of the NYPD, the chief had to, the sergeant had to be like, all right, under no <laughs> circumstance can you arrest a woman for being topless. It's weird that we're saying this, but we have to do it until this dies down. Amazing. It was like uh, the free the nipple campaign. Right? I know. They're way ahead of Instagram, New York City. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Yes. So why do you think it is that as a society, people are so fat phobic? Oh, God, I don't know. I mean, it's it's so deeply entrenched in the psyche here in America that I don't even know how to unpack it. I, I really, yeah. I don't, I don't get it. And I, I, I think that I do, what I do know is that blaming it or saying that it's because, you know, we're really worried about people's health is total BS. Oh, it's become the and bullshit, yeah. politically correct reason right. for people to, to insult you to yeah. your face. Um, Nathalia Noveas, mm-hmm. uh, another cast member of yours, brings that up as someone came onto her and said that the, she was promoting obesity. Right. Now, for one, Nathalia's like size eight, maybe. Right. Like she is not a big woman at all. Um, but that's something that I was accused of. And I know that a lot of plus women are accused of plus models specifically get all the time. It's like you are promoting okay. obesity. Okay. I'm not promoting obesity. I'm promoting a person of size not hating themselves because of their body. I don't think that's an issue. And promoting the idea that you shouldn't be invisible. I'm not asking anyone to be bedridden or immobile. That's, you know, I don't, it's crazy to me that people are thinking that. Like, I'm just asking that these people aren't, don't have their self-esteem and self-image ripped apart on a daily basis because of the body that they walk around in right and i think we hear tess holiday in in the film and you know she's a size 26 and she talks about it's not you know you don't have to think she's beautiful or attractive but you just have to accept that she's a person and she equally deserves love she equally deserves happiness. Yeah. You know, because of the size of her body doesn't mean she is less deserving of those things. And I think we honestly are at a place in our society where we do think people that are a larger size are less deserving of love and happiness and success. And, it, you know, if we break it down to that very human level, like have a little think about yourself and how you look at other people. And if you think that about them, you know, that's very shameful. And, and I think... You know, there's we hear in the film um, a psychologist say, you know, we have to start looking at how we treat people of size the same way as we have to start looking at how we treat race. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as much as we, we kind of say we may not be racist, is it the same thing when, when it comes to like looking at people who are larger? And it's it's shocking. And I think the most important takeaway for me was it's not necessarily about beauty you don't have to think that person's beautiful you just have to think that person is deserving of love and happiness and success on an equal level as you are and that's it because that person's a person it's really that simple it 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 does it comes out to like uh, human people are people human beings are human beings everyone you talk to whether they're big or they're small or they are famous or not famous they're still a human being with thoughts emotions and feelings and what i don't understand is I don't know if this happens in other countries, but in America, there's this whole idea of not, they're like, I'm not going to filter myself. I'm not going to do anything. And people are willfully hurting other mm. people for no, for no reason other than self-gratification. And I can't understand what kind of a person feels good 
specifically making another person feel terrible about themselves. But I don't think they do. I think that that person's clearly something very upsetting is happening to that person in order yeah. for them to lash out, right? That's and the thing. I, I guarantee online internet trolls yeah. don't, I can, if we did a big old study, I guarantee you don't have the happiest lives yeah. in the world. Recently there was um, in the attacks in Toronto, um, main the idea of incels, these involuntary celibates have become more mainstream because the guy proclaimed himself to be one. Now these involuntary celibates are this community of men, boys online who are celibate but involuntarily, not through their own choice. Mm -hmm. Because because of society, women won't have sex with them. And it is so it just gets to the most pervasive breakdown of like human beings in society, the fact that they can even think this way. Right. To me. And connectivity, right? Like we, how do we, I think, you know, and I think that has a lot. I talked to someone the other day about like how are men and women relating to each other now in the wake of Me Too and everything like that. And I think that is, has to be stemming from this, right? Women are becoming more empowered. We are using our voices to stand up for things that we were quiet about for a very long time. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I, I think just because we're, we as women are doing that now doesn't take away from a man's role in society at yeah. all. And no. I think we have to get to that place, but we're not there. You know, So men are feeling threatened. And as, as a straight white man, I've lost nothing <laughs> in, in the advancement of, of women's rights and in you know the rights of minorities mm-hmm. and people of different sexual orientations it has not affected my life at all other than my friends are happier now right and and the idea that this like with these incels the idea of being friend zoned the idea of um they look at it as if women owe them to have sex with them mm-hmm. for some reason and that's like some deep dark shit like i don't know how these 17 year old boys are thinking this other than like i don't know it's quite shocking i know we're i'm like we're getting into a much deeper thing i can't even go there with my brain right now no i know and i i've I've, i try to think about it and it's just kind of like but i do i think it equates from these people i think everything kind of goes back to Mm self-esteem and with these internet trolls and with these people who are in cells whether they're doing horrible acts or not doing horrible acts if they felt okay about themselves growing up right i don't think this would be happening right and i don't think they would be thinking this way and i don't think people would be disrespecting women i i know that for me one of the reasons i was very shallow as a teenager when mm-hmm. it came to women um and I thought you had to look a certain way to be deemed attractive because I was a teenager and I didn't know better. But also, if I really break it down, it's because I was looking at myself under such a harsh light that I wasn't meeting these standards. I was not attractive. I was not, you know, have a ripped six pack. I was missing these standards and I was holding myself to this such high standard that I believed that women had to hold themselves to the same mm. standard as I was. Now, my standard in my head was all fucked up. Right. So because of that, I wasn't the greatest to women when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. I'm at least I'm sure I wasn't. I don't, you know, I haven't had any written complaints, but like, but but seriously, I know that I thought in a very shallow, disrespectful way, 
and I think a lot of young boys do. Right. And I'll be interested to, th- to what you think because bringing it in, my, my listeners would be upset if I didn't bring in male body positivity. But um, I know that if I had role models when I was younger that looked like me and were considered worthy or mm-hmm. attractive by society. I always say if John Goodman was on the cover of People magazine as the sexiest man mm-hmm. and it wasn't a tongue-in-cheek sort of thing, like if they were legit, like, no, John Goodman's the man. Look how sexy he is. I would have grown up with an entirely different idea of self-worth. And I wonder, you know, people will ask you, I'm sure, why you didn't bring men into this conversation. And I will defend you on that and would say, because it's a different conversation mm-hmm. with men and women entirely. <laughs> and, and you need a whole other movie to get into that. Yes. And I think that's really important to kind of recognize. I, I feel like I did some research and realize that the male body image conversation is so deeply tied to masculinity yes. and what it is to be a man that it is not rooted in the same issues as the female body yeah. positivity conversation. And I think that to do both of them simultaneously would have done both of them an injustice. So, yeah. you know, I, I chose women specifically. Um, but that is not to say that this is not a man's issue because, wow, yes, it is. And Well, you even say in the thing, um, uh, eating disorders are brought up mm-hmm. and we talk about 20 million women in America suffer from eating disorders, but 10, 10 million, million men yeah. suffer from eating disorders. And so. that number is only what's actually accounted for. So yeah. think about... You know, if that's the number of reported incidents, the reality is probably way larger because men are not coming forward they in don't a way that women are. Exactly. I couldn't until recently. I abused diet pills when I was a teenager and in college. I took diet pills every single day mm-hmm. because, but I never talked to anyone about it. And right. I hid the bottles in different things, but it's a thing that, that men and women deal with. Mm-hmm. And they do, and they deal with it in different ways, but it is the the feeling that probably manifests inside a man and a woman is probably quite similar. And I don't know because I'm not a man, but you know, that just the feeling of not being good enough, that yeah. feeling in general is awful. And you just, you just pointed out how simple it would have been to rectify that when you were growing up and you're yeah. just one person, right? So think about it. That's what I think about when I think a lot of people say to me like, oh, but this, these issues, you know, they're just so complicated to fix and there's no quick, easy solution. And it's like, well, no, the reality is they're not super complex to fix. It's about changing the imagery we're putting out in yeah. the world. They're, they're quite easy fixes. Right. And then just being more representative of people in general. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that doesn't mean that you have to dilute your brand, whatever that means. And, you know, it just means you're being a little bit more diverse and inclusive. It, yeah. Representation, you know, education and, and accountability is mm-hmm. really all that's needed. The more images that are out there of... Uh, plus models, men and women, on the cover of magazines in there, the more people are going to feel okay about their size. Right. Uh, the more education you give where someone goes, hey, that person's fat, and you say, okay, is that a bad thing? And they go, well, well yeah, he's fat. Why? Because they're unhealthy. Mm-hmm. No, statistically, that's not true at all. Uh, BMI has is, you know, is a whole, focuses on a large group of people, not that. Why is that person unhealthy? Well, because he's fat. Have you taken their blood work? Are right. you their doctor? Why is it offensive to you that this person mm-hmm. is fat? Oh, because they're fat. And how does that affect your life in any way, shape, or form? Right. And exactly. Go, oh. Yes. It's, it's really just having the conversation with people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of for, for me with the film, it, it, 
it became obvious I couldn't ignore the health conversation because as I, you know, I kind of started the film thinking about what is standing in the way of more diverse and inclusive images out there, yeah. right? So what are the, the real touch points? And health just kept coming up time and time and time again. And it was this idea that uh, plus size models promote obesity, using more diverse models is going to make everyone else fat. I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous. And I think I had to unpack that a little bit and, and really look at how we got to that point and also just counter all of those arguments and say, no, 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 no. Like, let's listen to some health professionals here. Let us like let them tell us that that's yeah. just totally untrue. And, you know, more importantly, or like to add on to that, we've we've built this, uh, you know, conversation starter kit to go along with the film. And I think we really dive into the health questions in that to do exactly what you just pointed out there, which is to ask questions of people to make them really reassess their how they think about other people, right? So you're asking the questions not to shame people or not to tell people how to think, yeah. but to just pose a question so that people themselves can come to the realization that, oh, wait, people are people, they deserve love and respect. I can't judge someone's health by looking at their body. And even if I could, their health has absolutely no ramifications in my own personal life. You know, and I, I think that is kind of what's what's important. Yeah, I, that's that's so well said. Um, so who do you think are the people who are the game changers in this besides yourself, besides this movie? Because <laughs> it definitely is. Who do you think are people you know my listeners and people can look to like who are the people changing the conversation right now yeah well you <laughs> oh, thank you thank you but for sure I mean the the women in our film I think are are amazing and I think that there's brands out there doing really great work um you know Airy have stopped photoshopping their ads which mm -hmm. is really great you know Lane Bryant produced a lot of amazing hashtag campaigns which kind of activated everybody on social media which was really powerful um I think designers like Christian Siriano, Becca from Chromat, who yeah. I'm obsessed with, I love them. you know, she talks about the fact that it's her choice as a designer what sizes to make her clothes in, period. Yeah. You know, you hear it from someone firsthand who does New York Fashion Week, is, you know, best friends with Anna Winter. Like, yeah. you know, this woman is a fashion icon and she's telling us that it's her choice. Yeah. Therefore, you get to call BS on everyone else. Yeah. You know, absolutely and that's the reality. Absolutely, and it's it's not that hard. Like it's really even if you wanted to do, um, like for people creating their designs, because you know we we talked earlier about how they use the sample as a thing. It's mm -hmm. like, well, this is a sample. We only have this to base it off of. It isn't hard to make two samples. I work <laughs> with companies right now where they have their straight sample, and then they have me come in to make their larger, you know, their larger sample, and then they'll and they have. Instead of just the one scaling up from nothing all the way to 5X, they have their one for their straight sizes, and then they have one where they are scaling with a different body type. Yeah. And even that, it's not perfect. Ideally, you'd make a new one for every single body type, but let's be honest, we can't all have our clothes perfectly tailored mm -hmm. to us. But it's just small steps like that. Right. To, to make a difference and it's I think you know somebody we, we hear from Seth Matlins in the film who's a global brand marketer and, and he says we don't realize the cumulative effects yeah. of the images in the world mm -hmm. right and this was a really really key point he said that you know when he became a father of a young girl was the first time that he noticed how difficult society and men in society in particular have made it for girls 
to like themselves and then to grow up to be empowered women and like you know it was a really really telling moment and the the idea of cumulative effect really stuck with me because you know it is that I think that on an individual level we can constantly say oh it's fine I'm just creating one ad in the world of millions and millions but the reality is that one ad contributes to the larger conversation and if everybody feels that same way you now have a cumulative effect of thin white imagery being the standard and that's what's happened so in order to actually break that down then each individual has to start becoming accountable and saying no on an individual basis now i'm going to put more inclusive or diverse imagery out in the world and once again if everybody on an individual basis does that we now have cumulative positive imagery and it's it's as easy as that (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) it really is that easy uh, I, I what I love is in it, um, Tim Gunn, who is my favorite human yeah. being, uh, even calls him out. He's like, where are the retailers in this? Yeah. Where are the people who are supposed to be profiting off of this? Right. Like the idea. Forget all of my moral arguments for why brands should be size inclusive. Every single day, straight size clothing stores are closing down right. and every single day more plus and big and tall clothing mm-hmm. stores are opening. Mm-hmm. 67% of women mm-hmm. are over a 14. More than 50% of men are over a size 40. Why in the world right. aren't you producing things for people to buy who will buy it? I make the argument all the time with big and tall clothing. I'm like, these guys will buy these clothes. Why? Because they've never bought clothes before. They will happily do it just for a new experience. Right. And like there's a multi-billion dollar gap in the market. And it's, you know, and I think that's ultimately, like you say, exactly. We make all these moral arguments and, you know, we appeal to people's sense of better nature and it probably just falls in deaf ears. But the reality is that there is a bottom line at stake. And I think that's what's starting to shift now, which makes it feel like actually change is happening and it it feels like it's going to last because of the bottom line. And, you know, we show a headline in the film that Airy stopped photoshopping their models and their bottom line increased by 32%. Yeah. So it's this idea that, you know, when it comes to women specifically, you have to stop selling to women's insecurities. You know, we do not, okay, well, I'm going to speak for myself. I do not want to spend my money in a place or on a brand that makes me feel shit about myself. Yeah. You know, it's just, I'm a grown ass woman who feels empowered and I want you to sell to that. I want you to sell to my sense of being a woman and how awesome that is, not tearing me down. Yeah. And more and more women are feeling that way. More and more girls are feeling that way. And, you know, this kind of mad men more advertising more men are era. That way. Right. I know, yeah. It's gone. And it, it, I think that people are starting to realize that. But, you know, we have men of the old school thinking still at the top of corporations. Yep. And these are the decision makers. And the more and more women you can get into that room or the, just the more and more younger people, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of great feminist men, get these people into that boardroom and things will start to change. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Uh, before we go, um, what is one thing that you would say to a man or woman who just saw your film and for the first time starting to feel like they can appreciate the skin they're in? What are the next steps for them? How do they continue to support that? Um, I think for me, something I tell everyone is, you know, how amazing social media is and and how 
we should learn how to harness it. And I think curating your feeds is something that we have control and power over. Mm -hmm. And when I did it, it changed my life. So, you know, you're going to scroll. No matter what you do, it becomes a habit now, right? Your finger's going to keep moving on that phone. And you're seeing all this imagery. And if even 10% or 20% of those images look a little bit more like you in a bikini or look a little bit more like you in whatever way, shape, or form that may be, then you will start to just inherently feel better about yourself. And yeah. it just happens. And it's like, it may seem like a really simple fix, and it is, but it also actually does the work. And, you know, I think I, I say that to people a lot. And, and if for mothers, I, I say, or for parents, I say, curate your child's feed. You know, stop trying to pretend that social media is going away. It is not. So if you don't understand it, learn about it because your kid is growing up in a social media era. We're all living in black mirror. It's not going anywhere. And, you know, if you're afraid of it, I'm sorry. I also feel a little bit afraid of it. But, you know, you have to learn because if you don't, your kid is going to live on there and you're not going to know what's going on. So, you know, learning how to how to curate it and and adding some positive uh, imagery and some positive feeds messaging on there is, is kind of really critical, I think. And that's what I would say. Perfect. Jenny McQuayle, thank you so much for being with us. Everyone, please check out Straight Curve, Redefining Body Image. Jenny, where can they watch it? Yeah, so um, (laughs) Straight Curve is coming out on iTunes and Amazon on May 18th. And we're also releasing a great conversation and activities guide on our website for free so that people can watch the film in their own home and have like a house party or a movie night where you can bring everyone together and have these conversations or for mothers to have these conversations with their kids or their kids friends um and you know there's discussion questions in there and some fun activities so it feels like a fun way to talk about your body or to talk about social media representation or to talk about media literacy like we we already discussed and that's all on straightcurvefilm.com may 18th wonderful and that's it's may 20th so i think so i don't know ago. what day it is i don't know what day it is uh, <laughs> but it just came out uh it's also available on epics and hulu and please follow them on social media uh your at instagram straight curve is film. at straight curve film and this has been amazing jenny thank you so much you. for helping change uh the world and helping <laughs> move forward this movement And we will catch up with you again another time. See what's next. Thank you, Jenny. (laughs) All right. That was fun, guys. I think that was really an important conversation to have. And Jenny, thank you so much for making this film and all of the amazing people who are in the film. Jenny Runk, Iskra Lawrence, Denise Boudot, Tess Holliday. I mean, there's Nicola Griffin. There's so many people to name, and they are all so amazing. And thank you for making such a beautiful piece of art and piece of education, for that matter. Please, everyone, go check out uh, the film on Amazon or iTunes. You can also get it directly from straightcurvefilm.com. That's straightcurvefilm.com. Follow them on all of the social medias. Uh, follow us on social media at Zach Miko, Z-A-C-H-M-I-K-O, on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bigthingspod at our website, bigthingspod.com. Email us at Zach at bigthingspod.com and Josh at bigthingspod.com. Thank you so much for listening, guys. You're always so amazing, and 
I really love that you listen to me. Because I don't know why you are, but it makes me happy. Uh, (laughs) So until then, until next week, where we have another amazing conversation, remember to go out into the world and do big things.